everyone. It's great to be with you. Wow, we are in the chapel. Some of you have come in here and parked in the church car park for years even and never been in here. Do you like it? It's great, isn't it? I, 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 I get to be here every week, 8 o'clock church, and I always think I'd love to be able to show everyone what we get to experience here at early service. I'm really glad that we can have this moment together um, for the next few weeks, in fact. Now, um, it does feel as if we are walking in the footsteps of the ancients here, doesn't it? Um, even if you notice some of the plaques on the side of the pews, they speak of the stories of people who were here generations before us. We have a, a chair here that's labelled Roy's chair. Some of you might know who Roy is. And this building itself has been here for 150 years in 2025. It's been here that long. So in a way, I can kind of sense that we are following in the footsteps of people that have come before us, which is helpful because the people whose footsteps we follow in also looked at the same Word of God that we look at today, the same Bible that we hold, we hold in common with those who've come before us. And so as we look at God's Word together, may that encourage us to know that we are just understanding what He says to us in Scripture. So let's pray as we look at Song of Songs, chapter 5 and a little bit of 6 together. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, Your ancient Word, and also Your relevant and precious Word to us. We do pray that as we read it together today, it is difficult we pray that you'd help us to understand, to understand it rightly and truly. We pray that your Holy Spirit might be at work in us today, bringing us healing and understanding, helping us to leave here today uh, better prepared to serve you, better committed to you, and also being willing to work on the relationships that you have put in our life. And we thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. So name something a couple might fight about. Name something a couple might fight about. Bring And the survey says money, intimacy, extended family. Not my extended family. I love my mother-in-law if you're watching. Hi. Um, it is interesting, isn't it, how many couples have common kind of disputes uh, one of the things that we've had to work through in our family is how many pairs of running shoes a runner needs to be able to run. And uh, let me tell you a hint. I want you to think of a number, add three, double it, and we'll start from there. That's about the right spot. But in all seriousness, disputes are common in marriages, aren't they? They are common. Couples who get married quickly realize that the honeymoon doesn't last that long. And in fact, disagreements can even happen on a tropical island, as I speak from personal experience here. But according to counselling experts, many marriage conflicts, though we have them fairly regularly, we don't actually resolve them very well, to the point where it's quite normal for marriages to have the same kind of conflict over and over and over again. I was talking to one bloke after the previous service, he'd been married for over 40 years, and he just said he thought that after 40 years it'd get easier with all these conflicts. But he said, actually, there are things that still continue to creep up. They're like the iceberg below the surface. You might scoot around it, but it's still there, ready to come and uh, into a relationship and intrude again. 
I think this is where Song of Songs is really helpful for us as well. We've been traveling through this book and we've seen the kind of love story of this couple as they've got married and as they've learned to understand and enjoy each other. But Song of Songs is helpful for us as well because it also tells us of the parts of their relationship that they kind of get wrong, that they muck up. And I think that it's helpful for us because it reminds us that the Bible talks about human beings as re in a realistic fashion. It doesn't, it takes us beyond the kind of the niceness of a honeymoon and a wedding photo to what real life is actually like on the ground in our homes. So here we are in this chapter and we see these young lovers faced with a fight, with a spat. And as they kind, as we kind of work through it with them, I, my hope is that we're actually going to be able to kind of travel with them, journey with them, and learn a little bit about our own relationships or our own aspirations for our relationships and as we work through it. So let's have a look. So do you have it open in front of you? Song of Songs, chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6. So last time we heard from these young lovers, they were well and truly in each other's arms, drunk in each other's arms, drunk on love, chapter 5. Verse 1, eat friends and drink, their friends proclaim, drink your fill of love. And the man says, I have drunk my wine and my, my milk. It seems wonderful. What a great and blissful moment. That was where we left them last week. But this week, we see that something has gone awry. Something has happened. Look at the next verse, chapter 5, verse 2. We hear the young lady speak and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Do you hear? I slept, but my heart was awake. Now, this verse has two main interpretations. You could say that she was literally sleeping. I slept. And then what followed was her dream, right? So I slept and then the next bit is what I dreamt when I was asleep. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think that she's saying, when she's saying she slept, but my heart was awake, she's saying she was trying to sleep, but she was restless and she couldn't get to sleep. Her eyes were closed, head was on the pillow, but she could not get to sleep. You know, you have those nights and the thoughts keep running and running and running. And you just, you try as you might, you count the sheep, you do all these sorts of things but you can't fall asleep. Your heart is awake. Your heart is full with things that haven't been resolved. I think that's what's going on here. And what that means is what takes place after this is literally what happened. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's pretty hard to understand and some of it is a little bit disturbing for our ears. Let's have a look. So, I slept but my heart was awake. And then she says, listen, Okay, it seems like she's awake here, right? My beloved is knocking. Open to me. She's quoting her husband here. She hears the voice on the other side of the door. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove. Okay, all, our, all the man's favorite words. We know them now. Darling, um, dove, my flawless one. He knows the right words to say. Then he goes on to say, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. So what's going on here? Can you see it? The young woman seems to be at home in her room and her husband has come home sometime during the night. Where has he been? I don't know. Has he been down at the pub, hanging out with his mates? 
been gaming the night away? I don't know. Did he forget to call? don't know. It's not clear, is it? But what we do know is that he is pretty keen to get back inside his home. Let me in, my dove, my flawless one, my darling. But she's not so keen. She's upset. He's keen to come inside, but she's not willing to let him in. He, he tries everything, doesn't he? His pet names, darling dove. He tries to say, I'm wet out here. Like it's, let's just, just come on, like have mercy. Give me a towel or something. But she doesn't want to. Look at her response. Verse 3. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She seems to have gone to bed. But we know she's probably not sleeping. She's restless. She's locked the door, brushed her teeth, tucked herself in. Why wouldn't she let him in? Maybe she's teasing him. You You can't get me. You're not allowed in. But I think it's more likely that she is a little upset with him. Do you see it too? He hasn't come home. She's gone to bed without him. Fine. I'm going to make him earn it a little bit. It seems as if there's some sort of disagreement, a little bit of trouble going on here. And I think that those of us who have been in this sort of relationship can kind of recognize some something of the reality of this passage in our own life. Maybe it's different for you, no doubt, not exactly the same situation. But I think we can see something of the way in which disagreements can kind of lead us to these situations. Um, you know, when when we have a disagreement, we can... We can, uh, instead of working quickly and perfectly to resolve it, sometimes our first port of call is just to retreat to our corner, to defend our territory, to defend our position. So instead of working to resolve an issue straight away, we kind of want the other person to, to pay a little bit, sometimes a lot. So you've been out late again, been gaming with your mates again? Yeah. So you're saying your hair is wet because of the dew? Serves you right. I'm not going to let you in. You're going to suffer. Let you suffer a little bit. You don't have to earn this. It's not a great way to to resolve a disagreement, is it? Do you see the little hints of the, the trouble here? But also, we can see that it's not great for this guy either. He's very demanding. Come on, just let me in. Where's his note of apology? It's not there, is it? And I guess if, we're, if you're married here in the room, it's worth taking a moment just for yourself to think about what's, how do you go about kind of resolving disagreements that come up in your relationship? Um, are there certain things that you tend to disagree about more often than not? And if, if so, how do you, what's your mode of handling it? Uh, do you have an initial reaction? Do you feel angry? Do you feel resentful? Do you have an initial reaction that kind of continues to, to come up? Can you be demanding and unapologetic like the man is here? Or can you feel defensive, maybe even retaliatory like the young lady is here? I think all of us have these kinds of modes of operating when we have disagreements that often come up every time we have an issue. It's worth knowing what those things are. Anyway, so that's where the, the we see the couple begin here with this some sort of disagreement. The next thing that we see is we see the decisions that they make. Now, this is really important for us to notice. The disagreement that this couple had is compounded by 
the kind of decision that they make next. And again, if you've been in this situation, you will know the importance of this, that there is a moment when you're having a disagreement that you need to make a decision about what you're going to do next. What is the thing you're going to do? We know what it's like. You can, you, you, instead of, if you want peace in your relationship, you, if you want to deal with the disagreement properly, you know that there are some things that you should do, but sometimes you don't always make the wisest decision. And that's what happens for this couple too. Let's have a look. So verse four. So he's, he, um, he's trying to get into the room. And then she says, she's noticing this. She says, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. The restless heart now begins to pound for him. It sounds like she's becoming interested again. I rose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. Clearly, he's trying to get into the room himself. Or I thought, you're not going to let me in. Fine, I'm going to break in. I'll find some way to get into my own house. And she responds sympathetically, but not straight away. Initially, she's reluctant. She stalls. But by the time she gets up to go and let him in, he's gone off into the night. What we see here are some decisions that are made that compound the disagreement. First of all, she waits too long. Secondly, he storms off, neither of whom made a good decision in the situation. Where does he go to? We don't know. We don't know where he's gone to. But we need to recognize too that in these moments, sometimes in our own life situations, the decisions that we make in our disagreements don't actually help us to resolve the situation properly. And we can kind of see something of what we are like with what this couple are trying to do. Sometimes it happens because our emotions are getting involved in these situations, as they always do. One of us feels impatient, doesn't feel heard. Like, what has this guy, like, had going on for him that's left him to be late at the house? We don't know. Maybe he was working late. Maybe he was trying to make ends meet. Maybe his boss made him stay back. Maybe there was a, 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 a traffic jam in the, in, the, in the street on the way home. Who knows? He's trying to say, it's not my fault I was late. Another time, someone in the situation, like in, in terms of the young lady here, she might feel hurt or not listened to. You're so demanding, just trying to, like, you're using all those words again, my love, my darling. Think about what it's like for me. I've been waiting for you all night long. I just, I've been on my own. I was ready for you, but you didn't call, you didn't make an effort. And so her emotions seem to get involved as well, potentially. Our emotions affect our decision-making. In this instance, the young lady stalls, and in this instance, the young man storms off. Neither of these decisions help. And notice as well that the decisions that we make in these disagreements have consequences as well. They have consequences. And here we see what happens to this couple. We see it especially from the young lady's perspective. Um, notice immediately that she is filled with a sense of disappointment. Uh, so we've seen her restless heart at the start of the chapter. Then we see her heart pounding for her husband. And then we see in verse 6 that her heart sank at his departure. Do you see the way her heart's being described here? She's disappointed. She's upset that he's just kind of, walked off on her like this um, and you can you can hear it in her words verse 6 I opened for my beloved but my beloved had left he was gone my heart sank at his departure I looked for him 
but I didn't find him. I called him, but I but he did not answer. Clearly, this is not turning out how she had planned for it to happen, and she's upset. This is sometimes what happens in our disagreements. We have these disagreements and we make these decisions. We don't intend for it to turn out badly, but inevitably these decisions have consequences and we end up in a place that we didn't want to be in to begin with. Like uh, you can think about your own kind of situation. Sometimes it's simply because the disagreements that we have can actually be pretty small. I'll give you a a small example. So, um, for example, it might be that you, you have a little disagreement in your family hypothetically of course that you want the your beloved to put the dishes in in into the dishwasher not next to the dishwasher does that make sense you know some of you are like oh you have a dishwasher you're so lucky yeah you know try dishwashers are there so the dishes can be put into the dishwasher am i right i get some nods of agreement i get some sympathy yeah The dishwasher is not there so that you can carefully take your plate from the dining area to put on the bench above the dishwasher. That's a no-no. So you have this conversation. You say, look, would it it be possible perhaps to place the dishes inside the dishwasher so that the dishwasher can do the cleaning? And, And then, of course, no doubt, it snowballs from there, can't it? Why? It, 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 it can, it, something that happens so small, so minor can turn into something so big so quickly because our emotions get involved and we push each other's buttons and then we make decisions that reinforce the bad decision we made in the first place and it gets worse. That's what's going on for this couple here. And it does get worse for this couple and then we reach the rather disturbing point in the story. And that is that this young lady, after being disappointed, finds herself in real danger, in physical harm, actually. Um, So what does she decide to do? She decides to get out of bed and go off into the city to look for her husband and to bring him back. She wants to do something. Um, We've actually seen her do something similar before earlier in the Book of Songs, and it's worked out fine for her there, but this time it doesn't work out very well at all. She walks around the city looking for her husband in the middle of the night, the watchmen find her and we're told that they beat her up. They bruised her. It's no wonder that you read this and you just want it to be a bad dream. You want it to be a bad dream, don't you? You want it to be it's certainly turning into a nightmare for her. I think that in her haste to find her husband, she runs out at night. I mean, maybe we can find an explanation, certainly not a justification but certainly there's no street lights at night. Perhaps she's wearing special clothing that she prepared for her husband. She's run out into the night uh, and the watchmen have caught up with her. They've grabbed her clothes. She seems to have escaped. The point is clear regardless. What began as a small dispute escalated to something far more dangerous for this couple very quickly. And I think it's an illustration for us about how things that we don't intend to happen can happen by virtue of a series of decisions that leave us far away from where the original problem was to begin with. And this is something that we do actually recognise in our relationships too. It's interesting, isn't it, how when you talk to people, I do a little bit of marriage counselling and I've talked to other counsellors as well, how often the the thing that, that has turned into a really big thing didn't begin with a really big thing, it began with a really small thing. And over time it just created more and more layers so you got this massive separation and this massive dispute, but it began with something far smaller, that the danger in our relationships for couples can actually start from really small things. 
And so there's wisdom for couples to work on the small things and to manage their emotions properly so that it doesn't escalate into really big things. So chapter five here is an example, I think, of a situation that we don't want to happen. The wise person who reads this part of the wisdom literature of the Bible reads this and says, what can I do differently in my relationship so that I don't end up in this situation? This is something that we ought to think about for ourselves in our own life circumstances. Well, let's go back to the song. So this is where, again, things take an interesting turn in the chapter because so far we've seen a disagreement and we've seen the aftermath of this kind of dispute that's escalated to this dangerous kind of level. But then we get, a few verses later, one of those sections of the Song of Songs where we have a love song again. Do you see it? <laughs> the woman starts to sing a love song about her beloved. And I have to say, when I first read that, I thought, what is the connection between this love song about her beloved and his head of purest gold, his arms of gold, his legs of marble are set on bases of gold? She's singing of this amazingness of her husband. But it's come right after this shocking moment, the most shocking moment of the song. Do you see a connection? Can you see it? I have to say, it puzzled me. It puzzled me. It's interesting, isn't it, when you look at the verse in between, verse 9. So verse 8, she says, sorry, verse 8, she says, Daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. You can see the regret. She doesn't want to be in this situation. She wants him to be reconciled. If you see my husband, tell him I'm, I, I want this to be over. I think that's what she's saying. And then her friends in verse 9 say, How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others? that you so charge us. See, I think here they might be gently challenging her view of her husband. And they've got a point. This is not a perfect couple by any stretch of the imagination. But then she responds in verse 10 by talking up her husband. And I think that the reason why there is a link between verse 8, 9 and 10 means that we should actually read this section together. So I don't think it's a completely new section. So we've just left her in danger and all of a sudden she's singing about her beloved. I think this is connected together because of the way verse 8, 9 and 10 are linked thematically. It's really important to see that. So she talks about her husband here. She talks about his physical appearance. Here's why he's so amazing. Head, eyes, cheeks, lips, arms like rods of gold. Man, are you feeling insecure right now? I am. <laughs> But more than that, more than any of these physical features, look at where she gets to at the very end of the section. She says, this is my beloved. And then she says, this is my friend. Do you see it? That to me is striking in this chapter. It's like it's highlighted for me. The fact that she's used this word at this point in time as a reminder to her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, actually her beloved is her friend. So I ask you, can you see a connection between this first section and this later section? Can you see it there? It's interesting, isn't it? Because this kind of song can leave us 
with more questions than answers. Because, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't actually tell us how they resolve their disagreement. Can you find it? <laughs> it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us. You have this problem and you have this resolution, but we don't know how they did it. How did they resolve their disagreement? Did they see a counsellor? Did they call the marriage helpline? Did they join a book club? Did they eat a bucket of ice cream together with one spoon? It's a good idea, by the way. But we're just not told how they did it. We're not told. But what we do know is that they did come back together. They did come back together. That ought to give us a little bit of hope, I think. A little bit of hope that even as this couple navigates this really difficult, even dangerous moment in their relationship, they still manage to find a way to work forward through these challenges to come back together again. Their disagreement was not final. And I want to say to you, if you're in a situation today in your relationship with your beloved and you're not sure if you can work it out, if you're not sure if you can get through this disagreement or through this dispute, take some heart, take some consolation from what you see here, that even this couple in these terrible set of circumstances found a way, they found a way to come back together again. Other people around them doubted it. Look at the friends, you know, is he really better, this guy? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your beloved gone then? Most beautiful of women. You could be the most beautiful of women. Where's your beloved gone? He's left you. He's gone. Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? The people around this couple doubted them. They weren't sure it would work out. But then, but then we see what this young lady says. She says in verse 2, well, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. What a coy response, right? You question us, let me tell you, he's back. And we are together. He's right here next to me. He's with me. Do you see how it turns out? After making up, we don't know how they did it, but it's clear that they did make up. Now it seems like they're, if you'll excuse my turn of phrase, that they're making out. They're back together again in each other's arms. There was hope. There was a resolution. And the coming together was part of the healing they needed after the time apart. I know that um, uh, for some of us, uh, we don't, we, all of us, I'd say, actually, those who go in, we enter into marriage, into these relationships with every good intention of making it strong and stable and committed and forever. I've never, I've never conducted a marriage where I've doubted the promises of the two who have come to, up the front, the bride and groom. Never doubted them. But of course, the reality is it's far harder to do it. Even couples who have been together a while can build bad habits and have disagreements that continue to run their course. And so the wise couple acknowledges the reality of living in a fallen and broken world and works hard in an ongoing sense to build their marriage into a stronger place. Um, one of the things I wanted to do whilst we were doing Song of Songs was to actually run a marriage course alongside Song of Songs. You can see why it would be a pretty good time to do it. For a variety of reasons, we weren't actually able to get it up and running 
primarily because we're doing renovations in the main church during this season. Uh, but next year, term one, we will be running a marriage course designed to help you build better and stronger marriages, designed to help you through the rocky parts, to help you work through disagreements, to give you time together to talk about these things in a little bit more detail. And so whether your marriage is flying and you know, you're doing great, whether you're in a rocky place, I'd encourage you if you're married to get involved in that. And there'll be more information on that in upcoming weeks. Well, let me summarize what we've seen together today. This chapter, we've seen something of an episode of trouble in paradise, haven't we? He gets home late. She's not in the mood. She's upset with him. She won't let him in. He storms off. She chases him, can't find him, finds herself in trouble. But because they're friends, they're drawn back together again and they reconcile. We don't know how they do it, but they're focused on making sure that it happens. I wonder, folks, if you can see here just the importance of being a friend in your relationship with your spouse. I know that when it comes to our spouse, we know the importance of being committed. We know the importance of intimacy. Certainly this couple knows the importance of that. But do we always remember the importance of being friends and staying together? I know that for some of us as couples, we can lose this aspect of friendship. Over time, we become fellow colleagues raising children. We work alongside each other to pay off the shared mortgage and we can lose sight of the importance of simply being with each other and enjoying each other's company. I think one of the ways this couple managed to resolve their dispute was because they managed to draw on the, the strength of their friendship as much as anything else. It's worth working on your friendship if you're married and continuing to work on it and not simply take it for granted. This commitment of this couple is clear and on display at the very same time that we realize that they face challenges for their relationship, that it wasn't always smooth, that it was rocky, but their commitment to each other, their commitment to seeing it through, their commitment to being friends made a huge difference to seeing their dispute resolved. And this commitment to each other is not only an act of obedience, of a couple to the vows that they make when they get married, but it's also a reflection, a small but important reflection of God's commitment to us because the Bible describes how our marriages ought to display and reflect the relationship that Christ has with his church. So that's why that's one of the reasons why we stay committed to each other because we are living illustrations of what God is wanting to show the world about the relationship between Christ and his church. And this means that commitment is not only a thing that we ought to aim for in our marriages, but it is a reflection of the commitment that God has made to us as his people. See, at the end of the day, this is how Jesus acts toward you and I. He acts toward us with commitment. Not only does God love us, not only does God sacrifice himself for us, but he acts toward us with commitment. And you know what else he does? He approaches us as his friend, as his friend. I know that often we think of God as someone who is great and holy and good, and all these things are true. We think of God as distant, as the one who sacrifices himself for us and loves us. But I think that for some of us, it's altogether more difficult to regard God as our friend, 
as someone who is for us, as someone who we might say even likes us. But God does like us. He does like us. I was helped in this by reading a book this week called Gentle and Lowly, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Altman. He points out how Jesus, who is God on earth, how he was known, like one of the things that he was known as was as a friend, a friend to tax collectors and to sinners. He was a friend to the unloving. He was a friend to ordinary people like you and I. And what's more, he is our friend perfectly. See, brothers and sisters, with Jesus, we are given someone who is a friend who will always welcome us into his presence. He will never refuse us. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Jesus is the perfect friend, not only as an example for us to follow in our relationships, but for us to experience and enjoy through the ups and downs of this life and into eternity. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know, Lord, how hard it is for us in our relationships. We, are, we fail so often in so many ways, sometimes big, often small. Father, we pray that you would give us patience and understanding and commitment. Pray you give us a willingness to learn, a quickness to apologize. Help us to remember and to nurture our friendships in the context especially of our most intimate relationships. Thank you as well that you actually act toward us in such a beautiful and profound way. Thank you that in Jesus we actually have an example of a friend who will never refuse us, but will always act gently with us, who meets us in our weakness, always ready to forgive us and always to be our friend. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.